Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, I feel like we're coming off a high today, Wendy. Oh my gosh, I agree. Yeah, it's like it's 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 a come down from the Michigan Paranormal Conference. It was a particularly rough Monday. Yes. Knowing all the fun that we've been looking forward to is over until the next time. So Yes. And also uh, a big big weekend. It was. It was a lot of fun. So the Michigan Paranormal Conference is in <laughs> Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, everybody. So that is basically in Canada. It's the top. It is north. Yeah. Yeah, it's the top of the UP. We and, could see Canada. Yes, we could see Canada from uh, from the downtown, and uh, it's. I mean, there got to be at least a thousand people there. I think there was over a thousand people there this year. It was a big crowd, and he did say that it was the biggest one they'd had yet. And it was a pretty amazing convention. So, like speakers from, uh, well, Katrina Weidman from the Paranormal Lockdown, who Wendy and I interviewed for yes. the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference. If you guys are Paranormal Lockdown fans, she was there. As was Nick Groff from Paranormal Lockdown. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Tennessee Wraith Chasers were there from Haunted Towns. And actually, their new show, they're doing live ghost investigations in the new show. That's brave. They don't tell you. I was talk- so I was talking to Scott Porter, who's been on the show. And Scott Porter's their historian. Like, he's their, he's their main researcher guy. And the Tennessee Wraith, they're all kind of like buff dudes. Like, the Tennessee Wraith Chasers <laughs> are all like, you know, they really... They, <laughs> they look, work out a lot. They do. They look like they're working out. But they're doing a, a live ghost hunt on TV on their Haunted Towns show. And what they're going to do is they're not going to announce where they're going to be until they go. There's going to be a surprise where they're going to be. wonder how and that's so, going to go. Well, that's what we're going to find out. Yeah. Like that's, he was talking about, well, it's coming up soon. And um, so I, I said we'd interview him and talk about how it's going and things like that. And, and maybe when they have a specifically interesting experience, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll come on, talk about it. So that's cool. We'll have to talk to more of the tennis. So they were at the uh, yeah. they were at the convention, and and Grant Wilson was there from the Ghost Hunters. Also, the the Ghost of Shepherdstown. So Elizabeth Saint was there along with Nick Groff. The Kindred Spirits, Amy Bruni and Adam Barry, were there. Oh, Josh Gates was there. Well, I was I just going to say, let's not forget the big name. Yes. But he didn't actually present anything. He just was there to sign autographs, meet and greet. But I was a little disappointed because I was hoping he'd present something or, you know, yeah. give a talk. Like bring the head of a boar or something like, I killed this boar. <laughs> I mean, he's got to have so much to talk about. Right. Like I'm that. sure it'd be fascinating to see him present. But like he probably like how most people have a lucky rabbit's foot. He probably has a lucky Bigfoot's foot. <laughs> right. Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot's foot. So um, <sighs> no, but Josh gets there and actually and, and my sister confronted him in the elevator. And <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> that she's, she's, she sees Josh Gates in the elevator. So we stayed in the casino this year where they have the convention. And so you never knew who you were going to meet in the elevator. And it was usually going to be somebody weird. But because um, everybody was weird there. And that was, was, was great about it. Beautiful. And so my sister, Allison, she sees Josh Gates. They get in the elevator with Josh Gates. And he's just like hanging around. And she's talking to her husband, Scott, who's a big Josh Gates and Expedition Unknown fans. <laughs> perfect timing. Right. There. She's on the phone with her husband. And she's like... He's like, put me on speakerphone. And so she puts it on speakerphone and she's like, hey, Josh, nice to meet you. And he's like, oh, yeah, hi, thanks. And then on speakerphone, just her husband's like, Josh, I love you. <laughs> like, 
name on it. Oh, man. She said he yeah, took it great. pretty cool. He seemed pretty nice. Yes. He, I saw him walking around in the vendor room, one of our p- favorite places to hang out. Yes. <laughs> the quality of people at the convention was exceptional. Yeah. Including the musical entertainment, Sunspot, on Saturday night. That was an Yes, that was that, definitely the highlight for me. Right. <laughs> um, we also saw Greg and Dana from the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, and they had their brand new tent that they um, recently started touring with. So yeah. it's kind of a new setup for the museum. And it was really, I thought it was very, very well done. It looks like a tent it's, from the desert. It's like you could take it. It's really cool. Like an oasis tent or something. Like you open it up and there'll be a camel inside looking like. Whoa. Yeah. And it's got a bunch of new artifacts in there. And so that was fun to see some different things compared to last time. I think who else? Oh, Lauren Coleman. Yeah. Lauren Coleman was there. Lauren and Coleman. And Linda Godfrey. It was a, a murderer's role see you on the other side past guests. It was amazing. It was really cool to meet a lot of those people and also to talk to many future potential guests because everybody that I talked to was like willing and gung-ho to come on the show. So yep. many of the names that we just mentioned, uh, some of the ones that we haven't interviewed yet, I, I went up and said hello and just, you know, threw it past them. Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of the people and... Uh, well, Dave Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio were there, and, yeah. and obviously Tim Dennis is the, one of the coolest guys, and always got good, like funny things to say, and, and that was a pleasure talking to him. But I really enjoyed the time we spent with uh, another guest who's been on the show, John Tenney. <laughs> yeah, his, his presentation was amazing. Yeah, and so here is the point, and I heard this, and I kind of wanted to talk about it more, and I want to talk about it with everybody I met, and I think we should do a whole show on it sometimes because yeah. it's really interesting. Is that so in his presentation, like he didn't even need a movie or like things, anything behind him. Oh, he was yeah. just able to just let it all out. He's just going right. He didn't have it. a PowerPoint presentation yeah. like almost everyone else did. He just talked or spoke, I should say. Right. And what he really got me is he's like, you know, people see ghosts and they'll see their grandfather in their grandfather's favorite fishing hat or they'll see their mother in her favorite dress or things like that. And he was talking about, well, the, you know, the ghosts have uh, closets where they put their favorite clothes. <laughs> Do they wear underwear? <laughs> yeah, right. The ghosts wear underwear, that whole idea, you know, that they're wearing these outfits because wouldn't the ghosts just be naked? You don't get to wear clothes anymore. <laughs> um, but he, he talked about, you know, when you think about the amount of energy that it would take to manifest where light would reflect off of you and back to your eye, that's an incredible amount of energy to, to manifest like that. But one of the reasons you always see them in a way that you remember them is because you have that memory. And instead of them having to manifest something like a, like a spirit in a room for you to actually see, they can just activate that memory in your mind and how much yeah. less energy that would take. And like I, a brain cell. Right. Yeah, I liked how he went into that. He in- introduced the concept by saying, you know, Everything is inside your mind. Everything that you're perceiving is in your mind. So right. why would it be that unusual for the ghost to be in your mind? But the fact that it's not outside of you, it's actually inside of you. And then, you know, the spirit or the person or whomever it is just is using that as their way of appearing for you. So, yeah, I thought that was just awesome. Turns it on. Right. Because I just sat there and there was only... You know, there's only so many things that, that your mind gets blown by it. But I felt like a, <laughs> I felt like a stoner who just saw like Empire Strikes Back for the first. Whoa! Yeah. You mean that's his? That's his father? Like that was that kind of mind blowing moment for me. I liked his whole speech because it was so, very much kind of a, I don't want to say childlike, but 
the wonder of everything around us, you know, mm-hmm. the magnificence of how, you know, we're made of stardust. So it took billions of years for each of us to get to the point of like having a Mike Huberty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and <laughs> a Wendy Sots, but, um, and it just made me, th- his presentation really got the, got you thinking about things and opening up your mind to the possibility of things and what's out there and how amazing everything is. So yeah. I thought and, it was very like, I felt good at the end, even though there were some pretty freaky moments. Yeah. But it was inspiring and ideas I never yes. thought of before. And I love seeing stuff you never thought of before. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, there's so much more. I don't understand. How great is that? And speaking of inspiring, Jeff Belanger, another one of our guests, yes. gave a very motivational talk about fears and, you know, facing one of his own fears. So that was pretty cool. I was, I just kept wanting to call him the uh, Tony Robbins of the paranormal yes, afterwards. He, <laughs> he did. But we, it was a very good presentation. We all walked on hot coals after he was done. And then we played the song that he inspired uh, from his appearance on our show. Yes, and it, he was there listening to it. So that was kind of cool. It was fun to play the song that we wrote for <laughs> Jeff to Jeff. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, so the whole thing was a super positive experience. We all, always end up juiced after these conventions. But, oh, so excited. So this was a great one. So we just wanted to kind of share some of our favorite stuff with you there. Yeah. And also, as we were going through the weekend, we were sharing bits and pieces of it with our Patreon community through live videos. So if that's something that you're interested in, we'll continue doing that through um, all the other events that we attend and and you can join our patreon community at othersidepodcast.com slash donate for as little as what i think a dollar a month jesus christ a dollar a month you're giving the (laughs) show away it's so cheap but you know three dollars a month is the level where you can be in all the hangouts right but what was great this weekend was that the fact not only sharing stuff but then people were asking us questions we were able to ask questions to the people we were seeing at the convention yes we were the paranormal field reporters so that was really fun and you know a lot of the talk this weekend was about ed and lorraine warren they always seem to you know show up at paranormal conventions and talk and you know ed and lorraine warren especially because um their nephew john zaffis was there from the Haunted Collector. Yep. And uh, also Jeff Belanger grew up like in the same town as Ed and Lorraine Warren. So he was able to check <laughs> out the museum and everything when they were around. And the thing is, so Ed, they came up a bunch and they're, they're going to be coming up even more because the new movie's coming out, The Nun, which is a continuation of The Conjuring Universe. And so, if you guys remember, in The Conjuring 2, which is the last time we really discussed Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, in The Conjuring 2, um, outside of the ghosts that they're dealing with, also, Lorraine Warren is being stalked by an evil nun. <laughs> and she has like a premonition of the nun when they're at the Amityville house, and then has a, you know, and then the nun like attacks her in her home, and when, you know, dealing with everything, and... So the evil nun is a scary part of The Conjuring, and they're making a whole movie called The Nun that comes out. <laughs> Very uh, originally named. <laughs> guess what, guys? It's The Nun that comes out Friday, <laughs> September 7th. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, the horror stories that inspired the movie, but also evil nuns in general. <laughs> and Now, Wendy, have you ever met a nun? Yeah, sure. They've been evil to you? No, they're cute little little granny kind of people. Yep, I met a couple. Not of always cute- old, but but the ones that I recall were particularly aged. I remember a couple of cute little granny ones, and then a couple of real mean looking ones. <laughs> okay, 
and when my mom talks about going to Catholic school, oh, most wow. of her her recollections uh, aren't of the sweet nuns. She said there was a couple of sweet ones, but then there was also one. And this is back when the nuns could still wrap you. This is when they had corporal punishment. They could still wrap you on the knuckles and the whole thing like that. And, and, you know, I'm sure nuns get a bad rap because there are a lot of people's teachers in Catholic school. And obviously, if they're bad kids, they're going to, you know, send them to the principal's office or threaten to send them to hell. Right. The most nun stories seem to originate from there. <laughs> right. From people who went to, to the Catholic school and did not experience the good side of <laughs> right and they're like well sister you know sister mary francis used to wash my mouth out with soap and things like that so i think that's oh. where we start also the, the thing about nuns is that they're well um they're celibate they like live cloistered together in these little dorms so they're not like regular you know we think of a regular person um they they choose a completely different lifestyle yes you know, and when they say they're married, they say, oh, we're married to Jesus. Aww. You know, and, and since, like, he's not showing up or whatever or, like, taking him <laughs> on. Like, you can't take Jesus to prom. Right. To nun prom. Can't be your date to the wedding. <laughs> right. Then Sister Mary Fran, I don't know. So, I think, plus with, with the habits, they cover their hair. When they get dressed up to black and white, there's a famous scene in the Blues Brothers where... uh it's Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, and they're talking to the nun. And just even before we decided to talk about nuns, uh, I was just watched this episode for some reason. I just wa- like watched the clip from the <laughs> okay. Blues Brothers where they go in, and she says that unless they get five thousand dollars, that the the orphanage where Jake and Elwood Blues grew up is gonna be shut down. And so they accidentally start swearing. Uh, you know, like John Belushi starts, he's like, fine, we can come up with that. No problem, blah, blah, blah. And, and she starts hitting him every time he swears. <laughs> so every time he says something vulgar, and then the more she hits him, the more they swear. Right. And then, right. And then, you know, the famous, you know, Dan Eckert's like, oh, you fat penguin. And then he's tossed, <laughs> she just tosses him down the stairs. And that's, I mean, that's that famous. And I just watched that randomly. And like I think that's a lot. A lot of people think of their, you know, their nuns because they, yeah. they say you, you say that you throw an f bomb out in front of them and they, you know, slap you. Mm. So I think that whole, like the outfits, the celibacy, it just it feels like a different world. It does. It's like a foreign thing. You, you know, it's like a mysterious. Where do they go? You know, you picture <laughs> them going into it like the Sound of Music when. <laughs> Maria <laughs> right. goes to the nunnery. That's that's what I picture whenever I see him. But then I'm like, eh, it might be a little outdated. <laughs> right. Well, and it's it's also ancient societies. And we're going to be talking about some of the, the ancient stuff today. And the thing is, there's so much about religion, especially uh, Christianity. Uh, there's a lot more mystical aspects of it in the history of it than, than we realize. And that when we we talk about these ancient orders and the different orders of nuns and monks and stuff, um, a lot of the basis of these things are from saints who might have delved into magic. And I thought this was interesting because my, so when I was confirmed as a Catholic, when I was 17 years old, um, I picked as my confirmation name, Cyprian. Cyprian was a confirmation name. And I I thought it was just a, a, a good sounding name. And it was a soft Cyprian with the rest, like Mike, 
my, you know, I was trying yeah. to, I was going for something different uh, with the hard like consonants that were in my name, Robert, Michael. And I'm like, <laughs> Cyprian sounds nice. It kind of changes it up. And so that's the reason I picked it. Then I thought he had a cool story when he was like eaten like by lions, like the Romans, uh, like fed him to the lot, you know, they, or they beheaded him. <laughs> they beheaded him very publicly. Yeah. And then I go on to discover that there's this whole like order of St. Cyprian of Antioch that deals in the fact that he was a, like a conjurer and a magician cool. at the same time. And then I'm like, well, you can't, you can't have magic when you're a Christian, right? Because they, they, they don't even like the Ouija board. Like, oh, Ouija, they don't even like Dungeons and Dragons sometimes. They think Dungeons and Dragons is dangerous. What are they going to think about, uh, you know, doing magic? But you, then you see, oh, there's a whole tradition of magic in Christianity. And that's kind of where we're going with this story with the evil nuns. And why are we doing that? Because the nun in the movie, the nun is based on a demon by the name of Valak, or Valak, or, I mean, it's written along, it can be spelled V-A-L-A-K, as they're doing it in the movie, but it can be spelled V-A-L-A-C, V-A-L-E-K. Um, it's a famous demon. And I'm like, well, that's kind of cool, but why is it, you know, but why is it a famous demon? Like, yeah. where did it come from? What how did do it you do? Get, how do you get to be a famous demon? Right, what did it do to get so famous? Right, well, <laughs> we, we find out that uh, there were these grimoires, which means spell books. So there's these grimoires from the Middle Ages uh, where they would tell you how to conjure a demon and then how to like make it do your bidding. Ooh, okay. So that's what these magicians would do. And even like, you know, there's a famous, there's the famous John Dee, um, who was in Elizabethan times, King James. Uh, wrote a book on demonology himself. So what are the English kings? So the English are really into demonology where they're conjuring demons, the idea, and then asking them to do their bidding, but they're doing it in the name of like Jesus. Hmm. So they're saying like, you know, we're, you can't touch me because I got Jesus on my team. I feel like growing up, going to church every week, if I would say to the priest like, hey, what do you think we conjure this Valak character and see what happens? Yeah. See if we can get him to do our bit. So what Valak was good for was finding lost treasures. Ooh, that's fun. So people would call Valak to find lost treasures. And he's in this book called The Lesser Key of Solomon. Mm. And so, well, what's the what's the key of Solomon? All right. It's uh it's like a star of David inside of a circle. And supposedly, now this isn't straight up in the Old Testament, but so if you guys don't know who King Solomon is, you might know the story of David and Goliath. Okay. So there's these giants beaten up on the Hebrews in ancient times. <laughs> and David becomes like a Jewish hero by killing the giant. He eventually becomes king of Israel. And then he does this whole thing where he sees a girl taking a bath has her husband killed in a war, marries her, and has kids. Well, one of those kids is Solomon. Uh-huh. Solomon grows up to be the next king of Israel. And when he becomes king of Israel, uh, he's known for being very wise. He's the guy that said they should cut the baby in half, which is a fun Bible story. Oh, uh, it's so where, fun. <laughs> where two women, two women come to King Solomon, oh, and they, they ask him, they, they both say that they're the mother of the child. And he says, well... Let's just cut the baby in half so you can have both. You both can have it. 
And then uh, one of the mothers is like, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. She'll just, she can take it. Uh-huh. And then he decides that's the real mother because she's the one who more cares protective. more for her baby. Uh-huh. So that's the wisdom of Solomon. Clever. He's going to be very wise. So that's just a little, like that's King Solomon. That's what, it, what he does. You know, he's King Israel, son of David. He builds the temple, the first temple in Jerusalem. Okay, why is that a big deal? Because during like between the first and fifth centuries, somebody writes a like a, it's not necessarily a non-canonical Christian book, but somebody writes this book in Greek called The Testament of Solomon, how he captured a whole bunch of demons and made them work to build his temple. Whoa. Like he hired demons as a contractor. Oh, man. Like he hires, he hires the devil as a contractor and that's who he gets to work on the thing. And you, like, I'm not sure how much he paid. I bet they're really expensive. Like, you know, <laughs> might cost you a soul or two. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, is that in the, in the story, the idea is that he gets this ring from God and the ring has this seal of Solomon this circle with the star of David in the middle and the ring has this seal and it's a magical signet, a symbol that allows him to control these demons. And so that's, that's the idea. And this becomes uh, an idea in not only like Jewish mysticism, like the Kabbalic tradition and Christian mysticism, it becomes Islamic mysticism as well because Solomon's in the Quran and everything. So, that's this ring of Solomon for him to hire demons to build the first temple. Um, there's this seal. So the whole idea is let's name the demons who he, you know, and there's 72 demons. Wow. That he hires, not hires, but he controls. Quite a team. He, he, right, he conjures them to build the temple. And one of the demons is Valak. So Valak is originally portrayed as a baby with wings, so like a little cherub. A little Cupid. Yeah. And uh, he's a, like a little Cupid riding like a dragon with two heads. Oh, wow. Cupid just got <laughs> powerful. <laughs> Cupid just got scary. <laughs> Dead. And, and it's funny because in his lesser key of Solomon, he's calling d- different people kings, barons of hell. This guy's a duke of hell. Valak is the president of hell. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's an elected position. Or what? But Valak <laughs> is known as the president of hell. And for some reason, in The Conjuring, that's the demon they picked, uh-huh. the demon name they picked. But obviously the evil nun, it's an evil nun. It's not a little cherub. It's not a little cute, Aww. sweet baby with wings. You know, it's more like the cherub on the cover of 1984, the, cute, <laughs> the Van Halen album where like the babies are smoking. <laughs> So Solomon enslaves Valak, who is the 62nd of the 72 demons, and uh, he helps Solomon find some lost treasures. Now, if you're going like dowsing, so if you're one of those people that douse, and if you guys, that's a dowsing rod and you walk around and the rod seems to move on its own. It's almost like a Ouija board for finding stuff. Kind of points in the right direction, right? Yeah. You'd conjure uh, Valak to help you douse. You also would conjure him to help find snakes. Huh. Which might be useful, I guess, if you're like setting up a tent or something. Like if you're camping, you might want to conjure, ah, conjure Valak to make sure that you're not putting your tent on top Safe of a place. bunch of snakes. Yeah, yeah. And so he helps he helps Solomon build this temple, and the temple is where they keep the Ark of the Covenant. Whoa, that's a big one. So 
Yeah, so from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's the, the Ark. That's kept in Solomon's temple. And then, I mean, bad stuff happens to Solomon. <laughs> right, he eventually, like, the kingdom of Israel split up uh, soon after. And this all goes into the Old Testament book of Kings. But that's the thing. So it is in the literature, not as a, you know, in Christian, Jewish, and Islamic literature, that this guy was able to conjure demons, and one of the demons he conjured which I guess is perfect for a movie based on like Conjuring, <laughs> was this demon named Valak. Now, Wendy, here's something I didn't know. What's that? Okay. So you know how sometimes in the computer world they'll call things demons with an A, yeah, like demons? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, and that demons are running in the background or whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and Well, that's because the original Greek, uh, the word demon... Dame, which spelled D-A-E-M-O-N, uh-huh. does not mean something bad. Oh, okay. It just means any kind of spirit, uh-huh. any kind of... You, you, a ghost could be a demon. Any supernatural entity in Greek is a demon. Okay, so not or, necessarily evil. Correct. And so whenever you would call, and Catholics still do this with the saints, you ask, hey, you know, uh, wear your St. Christopher medal. Like people wear St. Christopher medals when they travel. Right. Because the idea is St. Christopher will pray for them when they travel if they honor the saint. That's just like the... So the Greeks would do that with, like, if you would pray to a saint of your household, or you pray to a spirit in your household or whatever to help you with the dishes, or I don't know, or, or to keep <laughs> to keep mice out, probably. There you go. And, and so you'd pray to the daemon to do that. And eventually, into modern parlance, eventually became just evil. Hmm. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. So... Um, that's that's more the modern, but so they used Valak is the is the guy they used for this particular thing. But the the character in the in the nun really doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> King Solomon or anything like that. So that's a, that's a little too bad because there's a lot of rich history there that you know Valak could have escaped hell. Yeah, the nut like eventually could sh- could show the nun's true form and it's the baby with the two headed dragon, right. which I would totally like that. Totally, we can do that with CGI now. And I would totally watch that. But anyway, these different demons, uh, Solomon's demons became very popular in all these books. And there's several different demonologies of like a whole hierarchy of hell. Hmm. So it makes me, I mean, these, first of all, these people had a lot of time. They didn't have comic (laughs) books. So they wouldn't, you know, they didn't have comic books or science, sci-fi back then. So this is what they did. They took the, the, cos- the cosmology at the time, and they don't need to have Iron Man and Captain America when you've got Jesus, Archangel Michael, <laughs> you know, the saints versus the devil. Right. And Asmodeus and Valak, all these different demons. There's a movie called John Carpenter's Vampires. Okay. It came out on Halloween of 1998 so that's gonna be 20 years old um i remember that because we had a halloween party at our house in college (laughs) and we went to go pick up dry ice go see john carpenter's vampires and then go bring the dry ice over now that's a day that's a good day that's a good day when you get dry ice for your halloween (laughs) wop if you guys don't know what wop is it's a drink made of vodka and every fruit juice you can find and you put it in a gigantic tub and then you take a cup and you kind of dip it in the tub. Some people make it in the bathtub, which Gross. seems disgusting. Like, you really got to scrub that tub before you before I'm going to dip my cup in there. Even though the vodka probably kills everything. Anyway, Ew. it's WAP is short for Wapatui, 
I don't know why anybody calls it Wapatui. <laughs> maybe Wapatui will get its own episode. It sounds like a magical elixir. Yes, but when you put all that fruit juice in it, it doesn't matter what kind of vodka you get because people always get the cheapest vodka possible. Yeah. It was popular when we went to college 20 years ago, and I'm sure not much has changed <laughs> in the meantime because <laughs> I don't know if WAP technology has gotten better in the past 20 years. So <laughs> WAP technology. <laughs> so uh. that's the story of Valak behind The Nun and The Conjuring. So I'm excited to see the movie. I like all The Conjuring movies. I think they're really well done. Yeah, yeah, should be cool. But th- those aren't the only evil nuns around, Wendy. Ooh, what? That's I mean, there's right. others beyond just the Catholic school stories that we hear from our friends. That's right. There's nuns who are evil past that. And Ooh. so I think the, the next interesting ones when I was reading about were the, uh, the devils of Laudun in France. <laughs> okay. Ooh, Okay, and this is in six. This is in uh, the mid 1600s in France. Actually, the like the 1630s, and so now I'd the the I don't know if I'm saying it right. Like L O U D U N, Luden, Ludon, Ludon. Okay, I like that Ludon. <laughs> and because I haven't seen the movie this is based on in a long time, it's a there's a movie called The Devils. Um, from the early 1970s, originally like rated X and stuff like that, because everything could get you rated X in the 1970s. But it's about these <laughs> demonic possessions of these nuns in 1630 in in Loudon, France, and it's got Oliver Reed in it, the fam- like the famous Oliver Reed, who was known for debauchery himself. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave. It's directed by Ken Russell, who directed Gothic, which we talked about in a previous episode. Gothic. Uh, was based on the story of Mary Shelley and that, yes. that big party they had in Lake, Ge- <laughs> in Lake Geneva in uh, 1817, the year without a summer. But the thing is, uh, the Loudon, <laughs> I know I'm butchering it because I haven't seen a movie in a really long time. But here's something I didn't know. I didn't know that the movie The Devils was based on a book, The Devils of Loudon, written by Aldous Huxley, who wrote uh, Number One, Brave New World, and he also wow. he also wrote a book called The Doors of Perception about his ex- experiences with mescaline. Mm. So mescaline is the active ingredient in peyote. So he goes in in the 1950s and hears about all these things about psychedelics. And psychedelics are making a comeback now, too. Like everybody's... T- <laughs> totally. Like Michael Pollan's book on psychedelics. Like everybody's into psychedelics now. Yeah. But Aldous Huxley is way ahead of him. And so he's doing it in the 50s, and he talks about the transformative experiences he has. And we'll have a whole episode more on, we have one on LSD, but we'll do a peyote where people, you know, talk to God and Homer, like when Homer Simpson ate that chili pepper on the Simpsons. And then there's his spirit animals, a dog with the voice of Johnny Cash. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that's one of my personal favorites. Um, But so mescaline is the active ingredient in peyote. And so what happens is that he does this, writes a book called The Doors of Perception. And Jim Morrison reads that book. And so that's one of the reasons why the doors are called the doors. Based on, oh, wow. Based on Aldous Huxley's book. Huh. Uh, who, and I, the only one I've ever actually read is Brave New World. I've never read The Doors of Perception or The Devils of, of Loudon. That's a good one for the trivia bank, though. Keep that one yes, tucked away. That is. The, the Doors are based on Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Percep- Perception. Now, what happened in France in the 1630s yeah. with these demonically possessed nuns? Well, the, the main priest 
in in Loudon in 1630s, this guy named Urbain Grandier. Hmm. And it's spelled Grandier, but if I it, everything sounds better when it's said in French. Grandier. Like, Urbain Grandier is like when you say my last name is Ubete. You're like, oh, that guy's <laughs> sophisticated. So, Michel Hubertet. <laughs> Michel Hubertet. Um, that right, that fits in with the whole Cyprian theme. See, that's why I went for the there soft consonants. So maybe you're French after all. <laughs> well, I am actually a touch. <laughs> but number one, we're connecting it to the topic today because of the the nuns, first of all. But second, there's a Solomonic uh, connection as well, because one of the main demons featured in this possession of all these nuns at this convent was Asmodeus, who's also a, he's also in the lesser key of Solomon. Asmodeus is the king of the nine hells. That's his job. Not the president. Not the president. So the thing is, he's the king. And like, I don't know if he gets appointed by Satan, like how you earn, like he killed the last king. Nobody, like Asmodeus, nobody knows. How did he get there? How did he get that job as king of the nine hells? He climbed his way down the corporate ladder. (laughs) That's a good one. So what happens is, is that Father Urbain Grandier is not necessarily the most, well, when it comes to priestly stuff, let's say he's not the most loyal priestly guy in the world. Like he's got a <laughs> mistress. He writes a whole tract on why priests shouldn't have to be celibate. Mm-hmm. And of, I mean, of course he writes that because he's he banging somebody locally. Yeah, right. He He's like, well, you know, and... He's really good looking. He's wealthy. He's well educated. Uh, I mean, he gets to, he gets to perform every week for everybody <laughs> yeah. as the priest, so he's popular in town. He gets plenty of attention, and he, they even think he's the uh, he's got a kid. Wow, you know, in town. So, he, and then he's openly going out with his mistress Madeleine de Bruel, <laughs> and he's just flaunting it in this town in the 1630s. And that obviously makes him a target. Mm, yes. So he's arrested and he's found guilty of immorality in 1630. But because he was wealthy, he, he gets back in and they're like, okay, you're, you're fine, Father Grandier. We'll let you back in. I will give you a second chance. Well, people start coming to the convent who are like representatives of the, of the bishop and they kind of want to... Well, they want to they set Father Grandier up because they want to get rid of him. Oh. And they think, they think the best way to do that is to find out if he's been involved in getting the nuns possessed by the devil. So what happens is the mother superior goes around and starts telling the girls that uh, Father Grandier had bewitched them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So they have to watch out. Uh, so girls start... They start falling the fits and convulsions. They start speaking in tongues, holding their breath. Uh, one girl claims she has illicit dreams about the priest. He appeared to her as an angel. But because he said he was an angel, then he said, you can have angelic sex with me. Oh, no. And Right. So she's saying, she's saying that he, he appeared to her in her dreams and had sex with her. So he's getting in trouble for having sex in people's dreams. Man. And... It's brutal. The, the, right. The girls have like marks on them that they're, they're oh. cutting themselves. And the whole convent 
is possessed by demons, including several of the demons from the Lesser Key of Solomon, because the girls will say what demon is possessing them. Okay. They're acting crazy. Now, the thing is, are they... Uh, are they being like, are they lying about this? Yeah. Or is it just the power of suggestion that's causing them to behave right. that way unintentionally, maybe? Right. Because, I mean, it starts with the mother superior, Jean Des Anges. Oh, I'm horrible. I, I am the Jean worst. Jean Des Anges. Okay. Oh, thank you. Jean Des Anges. So it starts with her, and she starts reporting the dreams, the sex, the she's flat, she's self-flagellating, <laughs> you know, just beating herself, and all this stuff. And then it starts happening to other girls. Other girls start reporting dreams. They they bark, they scream, wow. um, they they take the Lord's name in vain. They contort their bodies. Creepy. Yeah. Now this and is so starting this, to sound like a movie, movie horror right. movie stuff. There you go. So all this stuff starts happening, and they start having public exorcisms. So, like exorcisms with with hundreds of people, they're watching, and the girls would speak in tongues and act crazy. They say they're possessed by Asmodeus, who people think of him as the demon who is most associated with lust. Mm. So, Father Grandier's, I mean, he's um, dipping his wick all around the town. (laughs) Well, it's it's not, I mean, he's not doing the priestly thing. And uh, he's, does he deserve, you know, to be treated as somebody who made a deal with the devil or as a, as a witch? Well, probably not. But he's doing this stuff all over town. And so they think that lust uh, is, is going to be, of course, as Modius is going to be, he's the demon of lust. And then people also see uh, a demon named Zebulun. That's a cool name. Yeah. And so Zebulun is one of like the Nephilim, like a... A child of an angel and a demon. Like this whole, like all this stuff gets together. Right. And they say that the demons showed up at the convent one time when Father Grandier tossed a a bouquet of roses over the convent walls. That all it took were the roses to fly over. And he even tries to do one of the public exorcisms one time. And says like, you know what? It's not me. I'm not the guy that did it. (laughs) So he does, he does one of the public exorcisms, but it doesn't change. There's, they're still contorting. It's, this is all still happening. And you find out that one of the people who actually kind of wants this priest out of the way is the bad guy from the Three Musketeers, Cardinal Richelieu. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. So Cardinal Richelieu, he kind of wants this, like the fortifications, the walls around the town of Loudon. <laughs> taken down and there's a specific reason he wants it to do with the fight with the catholics versus the protestants in 17th century france and if you don't remember your three musketeers and it's okay (laughs) cardinal richelieu was like the guy who was in charge of france when the king was a boy so the new king was just a kid and so he didn't have enough experience to be king so cardinal richelieu became like the head advisor and like they said that he's got you know, he's got mistresses and he's he's not a very he's not a very Christian man. Uh oh. But he was very rich and very powerful. And so he wants Grandier out of the way too. And the the biggest public exorcism they had had seven thousand people watching. Wow. Yeah. So seven thousand people are watching these these girls say they're possessed. Uh, they're making like weird sex moves on stage and stuff. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a rock concert, actually. Uh, <laughs> but some kind of entertainment there. Oh, yeah. Jean d'Ange, uh, she says that she went through a, a pregnancy that wasn't real. What? 
She's like, I, I, I thought I was pregnant and I went through everything, but it, no baby came out. <sighs> Other demons, Isaac Caron, Astaroth, Grezel, Anand, Leviathan, Behemoth, Beheri, Aesis, Celsus, Achaos, Seda, Nephalem, Cham, Uriel, and Achas. <laughs> anyway, they got, so these girls are saying that these different demons are possessing them. And all this happens uh, in one exorcism, Asmodeus, he's, he's in the middle of possessing one of the girls. And Asmodeus, through the girl, tells one of the priests that Grange had signed a pact with the devil. Ooh. Okay? And he said he could get it. So what happens is this pact appears mysteriously in one of the priests possession like he finds it's i don't think it just showed up or whatever like he probably pulled it out and said oh you found it okay it's signed by like all these demons uh, and and father Grandier. oh imagine if you could find that on ebay how much they'd be worth but, but, yeah what, what's funny is asmodeus said that he stole it from lucifer's cabinet of packs oh he's got a whole cabinet of them yeah he's got a safe full of packs of, that he's made for human souls. Wow. And so Father Galt is his name. And he says, I, it's, it's here. I've got it. It's signed in blood. And Asmodeus writes out the promise on the pact that he gives to Father Galt and says, I promise that when leaving this creature, I will make a slit below her heart as long as a pin, that this slit will pierce her shirt, bodice, and cloth, which will be bloody. And tomorrow, on the 20th of May, at 5 in the afternoon on Saturday, I promise that the demons, Gressel and Amand, will make their opening in the same way, but a little smaller. And blah, 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 blah. He, he signs it the 19th of May, 1629. So he promises that these girls will have certain marks on them. Okay. That's written into the pact. And what do you know? It happens. They're written into the pact. Yeah. Um, they they send out the witch hunter, and they torture Father Grange. They shave his body. They look for devil's marks on him, and all you gotta do is find a birthmark or find a mole, and then you find the devil's mark. Uh. Well, oh, this is where the they, with girls they say this is where the devil kissed. Uh. With men they'd be like this is where the devil pricked your blood huh. for the um, the devil pricked your blood for the pact, and you know they find all this stuff, and then they torture Father. They they break his legs. Hmm. And he will not repent. He will not say. Wow. I mean, I think I think he even admits that he banged a couple of nuns. But or, but he's like, I'm not. I did not make a deal with the devil. This did not happen. Hmm. Uh, even so, uh, Jean de Angers appears in court with a noose tied around her neck, saying that she would hang herself if he did not recant his lies. Oh my goodness! So dramatic. Right. He's trying, doing his best to defend himself, but. Like, he's not popular, some of the people, because he was a philanderer and stuff like that and went around and had, um, he was a very earthy priest. Mm -hmm. And so while some people uh, defended him, not enough people defended him to uh, say that he wouldn't be burned alive at the stake. So August 18, 1634, the Royal Commission finds him guilty of witchcraft. They pass sentence. He is going to be burned at the stake. All right. So, and here's like in their uh, statement, they say, we have ordered and do order the said Urbain Grangier duly tried and convicted of the crime of magic, maleficia, and of causing demoniacal possession of several Ursuline nuns of this town of Loudin, as well as of other secular women, together with other charges and crimes resulting therefrom. 
from atonement of which we have condemned and do condemn the said grand jay to make amends honorable, his head bare, a rope around his neck, holding his hand a burning taper, a candle, weighing two pounds, before the principal door of the church and before the St. Ursula of this town. There he asks for pardon of God, the king, and the law. Then he's going to be taken to the public square of Scrank Croy, fastened to a stake in a scaffold, which will be erected in the said place for this purpose, and there burned alive and his ashes scattered to the wind. So that's the sentence. I wrote that down. That's the sentence. And um, what happens is, is they say he's going to have a chance to speak at least once before he's executed. Oh boy, but that'd be fun to hear. Yeah. But then he gets up on the scaffold and he's about to be hung. And what happens is the monks start throwing holy water at him and then he can't talk. Oh man, so he doesn't even get his, his last words. Yeah, so he doesn't get his last word. Aww. And what happens is the exorcist says, do not hang him first. They were going to hang him first so that he wouldn't feel the burning. But the exorcist is there and says, do not, uh, do not hang him first. And so he was promised at least he wouldn't be feel being burned alive. But nope, he got burned alive. Oh, that's so horrific. But what happens is the possessions don't stop. What? Oh, no. In fact, the, uh, the displays and the public exorcisms continue for at least three years until eight, uh, 1637. And what happens is that Jean Dagny, uh, one day she wakes up and the names of Joseph and Mary appear inscribed in her arm. So when that happens, all of the possessions go away. Hmm. So what started... Uh, with what might have been some kind of suggestion, also ended with what might have been some kind of suggestion. So, uh, yeah, that was that was the evil nuns, the demonically possessed nuns mm. of Luden, and it's a, it's kind of a sad story. Even though only one person dies, I mean, even though only one, like one person died, and he may not have been a great guy, but did he deserve to be burned alive? Right. Probably not. Mm. And so. Uh, oh, other evil nuns. Um, there's nuns of the Black Mass, and that's in Ireland. What is that? Uh, yeah. Okay. And so the thing is, uh, 1725. There's a guy named William Connolly, and he builds a hunting lodge on Montpelier Hill, and that's in in Ireland. So builders supposedly disrupted a like a fairy, like a fairy hill or a mound or something like that while building, and then the Shortly after it builds, a roof blows off. It has to be fixed and stuff. And they think it's, you know, vengeful spirits there. Mm-hmm. But they start using the lodge for a place called the Hellfire Club. Well, what's the Hellfire Club? I don't know. That's a cool name for a club, though. That's, a, that's an awesome <laughs> name for a club. Sounds like a bunch of metal dudes would be in that. It was. And so they were known for their amoral behavior and debauchery involving alcohol and sex. <gasps> yep. Could it be Satan? <laughs> the, the secrecy surrounding the club members led to speculation they were Satanists and devil worshippers. <laughs> the president of the club was named the King of Hell and dressed like Satan with horns, wings, and hoofs. The members were said to set a place at each they set a place at each meeting for the devil in the hope that he'd attend. Wow. They also said to hold black masses in the lodge during which cats and even their servants were sacrificed. Aww. So they would say the two nuns of the area, Blessed Margaret and Holy Mary, they haunt uh, that particular Montpelier Hill and the steward's house where the Hellfire Club used to meet. And uh, they, are, they are women who participated in the black masses at Montpelier Hill. And they can see me walking on the grounds today. 
Cool. Now, while I love the story of the Hellfire Club, I think it's fun. I also, when I was reading about these different Hellfire Clubs that ended up popping up all over Europe, it's more about this is the beginning of the Enlightenment. And so these people have been raised with religion all their lives. And so it's probably the exact same thing as like, you know, the, the, the Church of Satan or whatever that, that yeah. builds like the, the statue of Baphomet right. in the <laughs> Oklahoma state. So they're probably not really having a black mass. They probably are having the alcohol and the sex. <laughs> like that's true. But what's really happening is that they're just making fun of the whole Christianity thing, which I mean, people would say that's a, you know, that the devil would do that too. Sure. But I just thought that was interesting um, that the nuns who participated in the Hellfire Club now still haunt the area. Hmm. And of course, there's great evil nun movies. (laughs) You know, number one, The Devils is a good movie. I mean, it's very 70s. Okay. You know, some of the cuts and some of the the way that you can tell a 70s movie by the color of the film and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very England in 1970 kind of thing. But uh, there's one called Satanico Pandemonium, <laughs> also known as La Sexorcista. Oh, ay, 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 that's, ay. right. That's a, a nun is being tempted by Satan oh, and acts no. out sexual. Invi- they, there's a whole bunch of Mexican films called Nunsploitation. Oh my gosh! And so it's just like sexy movies featuring nuns. Wow. But what I think is cool about this is I've never seen this particular movie, but uh, Satanico Pandemonium is also the name of the stripper in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Hmm. That Selma Hayek. That's oh, so Selma, okay. Selma Hayek a character. Uh, her name is uh, Satanico Pandemonium in the movie. And also its other name is La Sexorcista. That's like the name of uh, the, the first White Zombie album. So Perfect. obviously, nunsploitation had an effect on our pop culture, and this evil nun movie did too. <laughs> okay, so we have time for one last, one last nun story, and this is actually I saved it for last because it's not actually an evil nun, but it is related to the director of the nun had a ghost story, had a, a ghost experience Ooh. on the set of the nun. Awesome, we love it when that happens. Yes. So he's on the set, and they and they film uh, part of the movie at this place called Corvin Castle, and it's actually in Transylvania, Whoa. right? It's an old Romanian fortress. So cool. Uh, the tourists that go there, they say that Vlad the Impaler was imprisoned there for seven years. So Dracula, the real-life Dracula's been there. It's been on Ghost Adventures. Uh, it's been on Most Haunted. So this is where... Uh, they're shooting part of the movie, and they're they're shooting in this dark maze like part of the fortress. And so, um, let me I, I transcribed the story he tells from the video, so I can read it to you here today. I'm not going to sit in his English accent, but he's like a he's got like a Cockney style accent, so it's really fun <laughs> awesome. to listen to. It's like he's like it's incredible. But um, so this the sequence is called the corridor crosses a 200 foot long corridor, deep, dark, dank, dripping wet. And to get it, you got to go down into like a T-junction. So where I was situated, I had to be out of the camera shot. And the camera is going up and down this corridor. I was situated in one of these cells. And it was literally a corridor to a pitch black room. There was crew, but the only light down there is the light we bring. It's very moody and atmospheric. There's crosses hanging all through it. And there's a lot of mist. There's a mixture of what we brought, but it's also very based on the reality of the place. I go into the room and I see the two guys from the crew. 
They're probably sound department, and they're sitting a little further back in the dark. I said hi, and I think they must be Romanian, because we have crew members from different countries that don't always speak the language. And um, he's like, I was focused on the film, and I turned my back, and I sat with my back to these two guys. I'm watching the monitors, and we were running the takes, and it was a complex shot with the camera. We had spirals and tracks, and it takes a while. Half an hour later, I'm sitting in the darkness with these two guys there, and I finally get the shot. Do you know when you get the take, you get up and go, oh, fucking great, you know? And I get up, and I turn to these two men, and I say, oh, did you see that? And then I turned around, and there was just no one in the room. There hadn't been anyone in there at all. There's no way they could have come out. I'm sitting here. The room is behind me, and the door is just, he points in front of him. The door is in front of him. I saw them on the way in, and I felt like they were there the whole time. So he tells that story at the Comic-Con this year. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So there was a ghost experience on the set of The Nun. Will the ghost make it to the final celluloid? Oh, that'd be so great. Well, what a cool place to film, too. I mean... Yeah, you imagine Corbin that? Castle oh. is a when you look at it's at least I mean it's one of the most beautiful castles in Europe too. Like it's a crazy awesome castle. So we're gonna have to do an episode live. Oh, from would that castle ever be fun? Thing. But the Nun coming out September seventh looks pretty good. I'm, I'm I'm gonna go see it. Cool, I will too. And we'll let you know what we think. Hey, that just reminded me one of the recent movies that we watched with our Patreons was that Veronica. Oh yeah, and there was a creepy nun in that one. There was no. She was. She wasn't evil. She was actually good. Yeah, but she was scary. Oh yeah. But yes, you're right. She wasn't scary. evil. <laughs> no, she was. A, a lot of people think were evil in that movie, but that nun wasn't. Um, anyway, Veronica's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. And so what we'll do is with our Patreons, we'll watch an episode or a TV show or a movie, and we'll talk about it. And then with that one, it was inspired by a real story that happened in Spain. A Spanish police report of the paranormal, and they turned that into a film. And so. That's what we talk, the kind of stuff we talk about uh, in our Patreon groups. We hang out, and then everybody can contribute, and that's what makes it fun. So, well, for the song this week, got inspired by all of the grimoire stuff because it's all it all sounds like badass heavy metal. It sure does. Like all those names and everything, and like the like the pentagram oh, seal man. of Solomon kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so for the song this week, we decided to go uh, with, uh, well, the, the theme of the grimoire and of conjuring demons. And this track is called The Lesser Key of Solomon. Key of Solomon Tonight 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Well, real quick, Mike, we've talked about our Patreon community a lot today, but they're so great. I can't stop thinking and talking about them. And this week we've got a hangout coming up. So stay tuned for that. And it's not too late to join. You could even be part of the hangout, even if you're not yet a member. It's not too late to hang out with us this week uh, in the Patreon hangout. Othersidepodcast.com slash donate is where you can do that. And I would like to thank Dr. Ned. Thanks, Ned. Ned is at the level of sponsorship where he gets a shout out in every single episode. So uh, Dr. Ned says, eat your Wheaties. So everybody eat your Wheaties, everybody. That's right. Have a great week and thanks for listening. Could it be Satan? The president of hell.